And we're back here on Unusual Sources, 93.3 CFMU-FM, broadcasting to Hamilton at 93.3 on the FM dial and the rest of the world at cfmu.ca. Fundraiser is still open. It's closing, of course, but uh, if you want to get those last-minute donations in, you can do it through the website. You can do it through us. You can contact us at unusualsources at gmail.com. And thanks to those who have contributed. We've had an above-average year, thanks to people out there. Today, as I said earlier, we have a guest in the studio, and it is Rabbi Lucia Pizarro. She is the spiritual director of the Jewish Liberation Theology Institute and is involved in many events that are happening here in Hamilton. So, Lucia, thanks very much for joining us in person today. Thank you for inviting me. Well, um, this is the thing about doing community organizing. We have people right here in the community that can come into the studio and tell us about what's going on here in Hamilton which is, of course, one of the mandates of our station, not just this program, but the whole uh, radio station here at CFMU. Before we start, I wanted to kind of talk about that very issue, and that is about the events that are happening in Hamilton. You were actually involved very strongly in something that happened just yesterday, and it was an event in the community, and it was a film. I guess that was part of the Hamilton-Palestine Film Festival, and it was What Walla Wants. Now, I haven't seen this movie. I understand uh, this is about, uh, I guess it starts out, she's a young girl and wants to become a police officer, and the movie follows her for a period of time. Is that right? Yeah, I, I wasn't able to, to stay for the Q&A with the director, uh, but um, I was told that uh, she followed her. It took her six years to, to create this movie. So it's uh, the story of, of this uh, young woman uh, over six years of, of her life. Yes, I heard that as well. So it's not many documentaries go that far. They don't follow someone around for six years. So I, I understand she finally becomes a police officer at the end. So they, they track her progress and they talk about it. That in itself is unique. But also, of course, you had the director of the film or someone involved in making the film. The director. Uh, right. So they were able, were they teleconferencing in? Or? By, by Skype. They, they had a, we had a Q&A uh, with the director of the film by Skype. Right. And that is something you've done before with the Hamilton Palestine Film Festival. And I think it, I mean, this, I remember you were showing a documentary by Max Blumenthal and you had Max Blumenthal join in via Skype. And that's other films, too, where you've had the director, producer, writer. I like that because sometimes people can get a hold of a film by themselves. They might be able to view it on the Internet and might be on YouTube or something. And they don't have to go out to a film night to see a film. But in this case, if they go to the film night, they see the film projected onto a screen. It's not just some little film on, you know, some pirated thing on YouTube. But then afterwards, they get to converse with the director. They get to talk to the person who made the film because usually people have questions afterwards. You know, they're they're thinking, well, should they have done it that way, or how do you feel about that? So um, it's really cool that you bring in the director, and you weren't able to stay for that part. But I heard afterwards that the director was able to talk about some of the questions that had been raised by the film. Maybe you were thinking about it too, because the main character of this documentary, she does become, I guess, she's with the Palestinian Authority policing force. And there had been some moral questions raised about that, because on the one hand, you want to see this woman succeed in her career and her ambitions, 
and have a livelihood and follow her dreams. On the other hand, you know, it was brought up at the event that, you know, the Palestinian Authority, some people were saying, was just doing too much in terms of collaborating with the occupying forces there. And, you know, is that an ambition that people should have? But ultimately, they were able to ask the director about those questions that they had. So when you do a film night and you bring the director in a way, teleconferencing, people can actually bring those questions to the person that can answer them. So I think it's really neat that you put that together. Yes, the the films are, are taking a, a life of, of their own. Um, we we envision them as, as films uh, uh, where people can come and learn about Palestine without having to to be too political because uh, some people won't like to to go to a picket or a demonstration or all these super political talks or anything, but it's more of a cultural way of of learning about Palestine and and their culture. So, but what happened is that uh, people really got into these films, and and someone in the community said we had to have refreshments. And then someone else decided to have better refreshments. And then someone else, they, they, the people in the community are deciding the shape of these films and, and they are totally different to what we thought a film should be, which is you go, you watch a film and you go home. But these are becoming like more of a communal events where you drink tea and, and sweets and talk and all kinds of things. There has to be a balance. Of course, when you're trying to make a political point, you might stand outside with signs picketing something like the JNF Negev dinner in Hamilton, which we've done every year. But that's not for everyone. And people don't just want to stand around with signs all the time. We have things we're trying to promote, ideas we're trying to discuss. We want to talk about with other people about subjects, like at the film night, about the woman's ambitions to become a police officer and the nature of the Palestinian Authority and so on. These are topics that people can discuss. You have not slouched in that category at the Jewish Liberation Theology Institute because you've had a variety of diverse events and you're working with more new people all the time. And I, I kind of wanted to get into that next because, I mean, we're here today to talk about the Liberation Seder that is occurring this month. But it's also about you getting attention from outside of Hamilton. The Liberation Seder itself has been getting some more attention from outside the city just today I was looking through emails and I saw uh, there's a website called Canada Talks Israel Palestine, which I did not know about before. Maybe I had seen it once before. Maybe IJV had linked to it once at some point. But there's a gentleman named Peter Larson who seems to be administering that site. And they put up an article by you. You wrote a little article about the Liberation Seder. So how did that happen? Like, How did they get to know about your work? Or are you in communication with Peter Larson? Or how did they find out about this? Uh, yes, we uh, we at the Jewish Liberation Theology Institute we always work with with others with others in the community, and and some of our main um, allies and the people that we work closely with are are for example the United Church, which is where we have the the events. But uh, the United Church, not this just this one United Church, is is the whole um, uh, body. We we. So we have a lot of, of for example, um, ministers from the United Church that w- we work very closely with. And um, 
I think Peter Larson is uh, has a huge following in the United Church. Uh, so he has given talks in in Hamilton, and that might have been how we we came in contact uh, through our work with the, with the United Church. You have been working with various churches and are continuing to expand in that category as to religious groupings and other people that are interested in social justice. And, um, I mean, that's all looking very positive. As you mentioned, um, Peter Larson's website seems to have a following, and he's involved in, in some of these organizations that are doing activities on Palestine and other things. So um, there, there is a kind of network that's growing in Canada, and that's one of the success stories of the last five, ten years, that there has been more and more people willing to come out from all these different communities, from Muslim community, Arab community, from the Jewish community, from various Christian churches. It's been a place where people can gather together. And... Um, you know, I was going to talk about this later, but, you know, it strikes me, of course, we have an event coming up on May 13th uh, with Ted Schmidt. I'm very excited about this. Uh, Ted Schmidt is someone who is known to this radio program. We've rebroadcast some interviews from the Taylor Report with Ted Schmidt, and I've interviewed Ted before as well. He's very much a dynamo. He has done an enormous amount of work on Palestine, but also in terms of Judaism, he was one of the first people in his profession to really talk about the Holocaust and uh, its significance. This was decades ago. And he's someone, he's a deeply conscientious person who is very much aligned to watching the struggles of people and trying to get involved in people's uh, struggles against oppression. So he's going to be coming on May 13th. And I know, I mean, there's events between now and then, so it's not fresh in our heads. But what's your understanding of what is happening on the 13th? What is he going to be presenting on? Uh, Ted Schmidt is going to do a launch of his most recent book. Uh, I was a Catholic Zionist. Um, and uh, it's it's a, a bit of an autobiography about how he became a, a pro-Palestinian activist from being a, a, a very Zionist uh, Catholic and how he, he changed. But it's also, uh, the book also explains uh, several issues within the Catholic Church and within the Zionist um, view uh, and also the the issues on the ground in Palestine that that he became aware of uh, and make, made him change. Now it's all becoming familiar to me. I remember this. Uh, he was interviewed about the book that he was writing, perhaps before it was published on the Taylor Report. Uh, yeah, it was called I Was a Catholic Zionist. And as you said, it's an autobiography of his extraordinary career. And yes, he started out, you know, he was, I think if I remember correctly, Ted Schmidt, was in a more of a, like a working class neighborhood. I think he was with Catholic youth, but he was also with Jewish youth. It was one of you know those kinds of situations. Well, it's an, it's a fascinating story if I remember the details right, because he learned so much, not just about his own faith, but about also about what Jewish people were experiencing in Canada or uh, what Jewish people had gone through, and it really it really eventually came to shape his perspectives on things, especially after he came to understand Palestine. So um, he is someone who has been involved in social justice struggles for a long time and has made a lot of progress and has fought a lot of battles. 
He's a, a very important figure because uh, he was uh, very, very close to the mainstream Jewish establishment in Toronto. Uh, every every synagogue would uh, love him, and they, he was best friends with all the rabbis. And because he was as Zionist as as the next one, and when he became aware of the issues in Palestine, the the establishment, the Jewish establishment. Uh, attacked him uh, more than they would attack any other person because they were so close to him. Uh, they it, It's like a closer threat because they thought that, that he was definitely on their side and it turns out that that when he became aware of, of Palestine, he, he was able to question them and they didn't like that. It's quite a journey and quite a struggle, but it's also a story of courage. Because it, it would have taken, I mean, he didn't really want to damage those relationships that he had. He was happy where he was, you know, but when he learned about the oppression going on in Palestine, and this was at a time when you could not talk about it anywhere, and, but he went and did so anyway because of his passion for justice. And it certainly got him into trouble, but he persevered. And so it's also a story of perseverance. I'm, I'm absolutely fascinated by this book. It's, it's, abs- it's so important for people to learn about someone who can only be called a pioneer. In, in this respect, um, and, and made the kind of activism that we're doing today more possible and easier because of the work he did beforehand. So um, do you know where that event is taking place? Uh, we're waiting to hear from a Catholic Church to see if we will get the venue in the Catholic Church. If not, uh, it will be the usual venue. Well, you'll hear about it first here. Uh, I, I assure you we will inform people about all the details of the book launch uh, for Ted Schmidt's book, I Was a Catholic Zionist. It's an absolutely fascinating story. There's just no denying it. And it's you don't want to miss this. He's, I'm sure he's going to tell uh, a very interesting account of this book and, and his life experience. So we'll learn about that later. But now, of course, we have the Liberation Seder happening this month. Not too long from now. What What day is it this month? 22nd. 22nd. Monday the 22nd is Easter Monday. That's, I think, 12 days from now. Okay, so it is a Monday. Um, what What time is it at? 6.30. 6.30. So this would be at the New Vision United Church? Exactly. Okay, people are familiar with that venue. A lot of events have happened there, including the Liberation Seders in the past. And that's kind of one of the stories uh, we can get into. I mean, our listeners should hopefully be familiar with the Liberation Satyrs that we do. Uh, We've explained it before on the program. Basically, to take a quote, uh, at Passover, Jewish families celebrate with a ritual family dinner called a Seder, at which the story of the liberation of the ancient Hebrews from oppression in the land of Egypt is recited. It is customary among Jews to invite guests, both Jewish and non-Jewish, to join their Passover celebration. So this is something that all people that grow up in Jewish communities are <laughs> deeply familiar with. Um, and it's also something that's been opened up uh, for, for liberation and social justice activism through these liberation satyrs. You know, there's some questions I had about that. But since these have been going on for a while, I guess I, it's lost to my memory. How did you get the idea to do this? I, I don't remember what initiated this, the liberation satyrs. Uh, When I was in in Jerusalem doing work, uh, I lived in West Jerusalem for four years. I worked for the Israeli Committee Against House Demolitions, so I spent a lot of time in the territories. 
and I witnessed a lot of houses demolished. And sometimes the family, I, w- I grew very close to some families that we worked together, and it became extremely painful to me. Not as painful as when you lose your own home, but still, I, I felt pain. And and then I had to come back to my uh, European-like neighborhood where everybody was in a fancy cafe and nothing happened. And worse, I had to celebrate the liberation of of the Hebrews. Uh, and it says, according it's the Haggadah says, as if it was you who was freed from slavery. That's how you have to celebrate this freedom. And I just walked from the Palestinian neighborhood. 10 minutes ago and witnessed uh, a house demolished. So I couldn't bring myself to celebrate this freedom as if it was me who had been freed because Palestine is not free. And so from there, uh, many things happened to develop the Seders until the shape that they have now. Uh, This year, what is special is that uh, last year on the first night of Pesach, the great march of return started and it it became a lot bigger than than expected it was going to be a, a protest in gaza that was going to last from land day which is the 30th of march until nakba day which is the 15th of may but the 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 attacks uh, that israel uh, had against this protest were so big that the protests actually have continued uh, for over a year now. What were these attacks? The well, the protests were nonviolent protests uh, in the shape of camps that were about five hundred meters away from the fence. Uh, so you, uh, people were gathering nonviolently, and then the because it was. Uh, it was a public protest. Everybody knew about them, so the Israeli army treated them like like uh, an attack on their country, and and they started shooting people and killing people. It's like a scene out of Gandhi movie, but you know, worse. Uh, I, from my understanding of this, is it's unsettling because in Israeli propaganda, they've always said. Why don't the Palestinians do nonviolent things? Why don't they have nonviolent resistance? And, you know, we had to deal with the PLO and then Hamas. Why don't they do nonviolent resistance? And there have been in various movements of nonviolence and political resistance over the, the past few decades. And here you have a situation where this was widely seen as a nonviolent protest. There are all sorts of observers. And it was, uh, you know, a symbolic kind of thing. And, and, and they just, the Israelis just shot at people, shot at unarmed people with live ammunition and hurt and kill them it was a ghastly scene to witness um the first day 15 were killed uh and and that and then i was supposed to lead the seder uh knowing that this had happened on passover eve that's when this happened so it was it was really hard for me and so this year we are we are uh doing the seder to honor the great march of return Absolutely. That makes a great deal of sense. Um, And like you said, when you were first starting this, what compelled you to have this kind of Seder, when you witnessed in Israel the suffering that was going on, 
and then you went back to your neighborhood where there was cafes and such. It's one of the worst parts about living in a colonial society where if you're against what your society is doing, it's so incredibly frustrating to see people living in relative comfort when they depend on taking land or plundering or, or stealing. And there's just such a, a blasé attitude or such nonchalance, you know. It's easy to see how people around the world in the Jewish community, in the UK, in Canada, in the United States, in Israel, would, would feel compelled to hold their own liberation satyrs. Um, this year, it's my understanding, you're also looking at the tradition of Rabbi Akiva, who, of course, had been involved in a national liberation struggle uh, of his own long ago. This would not be familiar to most people. What was he involved in doing that you're bringing out now? The the Seders have always uh, mentioned uh, Rabbi Akiva, but not uh, here here in Canada. It's uh, it's the Rabbi Akiva in in it's one of the famous stories of Rabbi Akiva is that in, in during the Seder uh, pa- Passover Seder uh, he used the the space of the Seder to plan um, a revolution against the the Romans. Uh, but what is important is the the meaning of the seder, how how one inter- interprets what a seder is. So we don't see a seder as the obligation to read a long thing in Hebrew and do the rituals, and then you did the seder. We we have a a different view of what a seder is. A seder is uh, a community comes together in order to strategize how to transform society. And and in order to let finish the, the thought of the how the Seders began, the only way I was able to actually celebrate Passover, which is about freedom, is by honoring the struggle for liberation of Palestine. So that's the only Seder that I can do, is a Seder that that is dedicated to the struggle of liberation of Palestine. So the the our seders are are, I guess, very political, like the seder of Rabbi Akiva, and like the say other other famous uh, stories that have happened that see the seders as a political uh, gathering. Hopefully, people can learn about that if they hadn't been so familiar with that. I guess another story of this year's Seder and the recent ones has been one of expansion because, I mean, it started out very modestly. It was basically in what, private home. They were five, ten people, and then some of them became fairly large, maybe 60, 80 people. Um, So um, there's also happening now in Toronto and I think in London as well. That one's going well. I mean, have, have you done it before in London? Last year was the first year that we did it in in three uh, in three cities. We we started in two thousand and nine with uh, six people total, and then the next time we were thirteen, and the next one was the one that you attended. We were twenty five in our house in Hamilton. The first two were in Toronto, and then the really big one was because we didn't, all our friends from Toronto came over. That's why it was so big. So that's when we decided we need two, one in Hamilton and one in Toronto. But now I guess London wants it too. So 
And, and there is only one week of Passover, so we are going to, I'm going to make sure that in, in my world, everybody should have a liberation seder, but I don't have to lead everyone. everyone. So I'm, uh, I think we should all have a liberation seder, and each, each seder should have a, its own uh, leader. Well, is that where you're hoping things go from here? Do you hope maybe you can inspire people in other cities to host their own liberation seder? I, I, my, my vision is to train uh, leaders so that uh, we have as many liberation seders as possible in the world. You know, why, why, limit, why, why limit ourselves to Canada when we have the internet? That is the larger story of what is happening here. If you, uh, there is an article, I think it was in Briar Patch magazine, but I can't be certain. It was called The New Jewish Left. It came out uh, several months ago, and it is about these growing numbers of Jewish people, especially youth, who have tried to find a way to have a Jewish tradition, but one that is in line with the values of a modern person about freedom and freedom from oppression and support for social justice and those things, which it has been difficult with the, the current arrangement of things in, in Canada. So it's a much bigger story than that. But I mean, certainly people could be having their own liberation seders in different cities. Um, so for the one in Hamilton, it's going to be the, the 22nd and that's a Monday. Um, we want to make sure people can get the information for that. It's a little tricky with the Jelathan website because it's hard to spell it from just the name. Um, it's Jelathan, which stands for Jewish Liberation Theology Institute, and it's J E L I T H I N dot C A. Is it? It's a dot C A address. Okay, so they can. T- it's Jelathan. So it's J E L I T H I N. And you can probably like order tickets and stuff from there. Yes. So they can get an early bird discount if they listen to this program, maybe. <laughs> oh, yes. If, if you say that you listen to the interview with me, you will get a 25% discount. Okay, well, there you go. So that's what you got to say. You heard the Unusual Sources interview. And uh, so you can get on board with the Liberation Seder by going to the Jewish Liberation Theology Institute website, but also you will learn about the other upcoming events, more films in the Hamilton Palestine Film Festival. There's going to be perhaps one outdoors in the summer. Yeah, that's the idea. We, we are uh, looking forward to organize a, a, a film around Palestine outdoors in a park or somewhere. Yeah, that would be nice. It's something you can do at that time of year. So I think that would be an interesting thing to go out to. So an outdoor film in the summer as part of the Hamilton Palestine Film Festival. And that's that's a long ways off, but we do have more recently Ted Schmidt coming up, of course, on May 13th. That'll be on the website as well. And of course, the Jelathan website will point you to their Facebook page and uh, they post information about their events and there's articles and links to other such organizations and so on. So, uh, you know, we have other liberation theologists like Ted Schmidt and it's, you know, we should be working together. There's a lot of potential there and the days of isolation or just working alone in your own little community are ending because uh, there are other places you can turn to for this kind of activity all across Canada now. Um, so that's it for uh, this week. Uh, you'd think that uh, we have an exciting month or two up ahead with not just the Liberation Seder and Ted Schmidt, but I understand there's going to be an event about Venezuela, which I'll inform you about after the break. But uh, yeah, there's going to be plenty of things for people to go to in Hamilton uh, for the rest of the year, as far as I can tell. So Lucia, thanks very much for coming in. As I said before, 
we're having more talent in the city rather than less uh, these days, and that's good. And uh, we want other people to know about that and draw from that, and that they can do it in their cities or they can take part in things here. And uh, and you'll be there for them, and you'll be there handling things like the Liberation Seder. So thanks again for being with us today. Well, thank you for inviting me. Well, um, I'm very pleased uh, to let you know about these events, and you're going to hear more after the break. Uh, as I said, there is an event about Venezuela coming up uh, later this month after the Liberation Seder. Um, so stay tuned, and we'll be right back. <laughs> 